You're listening to Producing with Purpose, an ethical business podcast with me, Tony Corrales. We'll be speaking to some of the greatest CEOs, creatives, founders, and entrepreneurs who have established and managed companies that put ethical practices at the forefront of their mission, all whilst navigating the challenges of the business world. Hello, and welcome to episode 24 of Producing with Purpose. I feel like I've started so many episodes by saying that the guest I have today was someone that I'd really aspired to have on the show, or it was a real goal to have this person on. But as you'll actually hear me say in the interview today and start it off with this fact is when I made this podcast, I wrote down a list and actually it was speaking to Emily from Serotonin, uh, I think in episode two, where she said about writing a list of 100 people that you would want to speak to. And I wrote that list and I was thinking about who the examples of people were that I would love to have on the show. And when people would say, you know, what's it about? And I would explain to them the concept of this podcast. I would say it's about having guests who have started businesses that, you know, are out there in the marketplace and they act as products in the marketplace, but are doing so with an underlying purpose, such as Thank You, the company who do personal care at the time were doing bottled water as well. Um, And today I have that guest on the show. I have Daniel Flynn, the founder of Thank You or the co-founder of Thank You. So it really, it really was amazing to lock Daniel in. Um, You know, I was, I was a little bit nervous preparing for this one. And to be honest, I was a little bit surprised when I managed to get him on the show because it was one of those aspirational goals. And to actually be able to kick that goal and, you know, have him willing to be a part of this was, was really great as well. So it was really awesome to bring this to you today. So to intro today's episode, you'll notice as well from what I say at the start that I'm not going to focus too much on Daniel's backstory of founding Thank You. And the reason is because there's actually an amazing video on the Thank You website, which is of Daniel giving a talk about the backstory. And there's there's no more justice that we could do to the backstory than what's in that video. It's really inspiring and it's really a recommended watch. So whether you can stop what you're doing now and give that a watch or if you're listening to this in the car or something then just keep that in mind for later it's well worth checking out so what we do is we talk a little bit more about some of the ways that daniel stayed motivated and kept a strong mindset in the early days of starting this company we talk about the large pivots thank you has taken and is continuing to take having moved away from a multi-million dollar stake in the bottled water market because they didn't feel it was representing what their brand was about and now moving into a partnerships and licensing model so that they can really have more impact on more people um, and partner up with other companies to make that happen. I feel the scale and the high stakes impact of these decisions and the conviction that Daniel has to doing what's best for the brand will be an inspiration for so many people who will inevitably have to do some tough reflection and self-assessment on the best way to move their project or venture forward. So I think that was a really important thing to talk about today. And then I also wanted to get stuck into a conversation and that was around their ability to innovate and growth hack to spread the message of thank you and to boost awareness, especially in the in the first years of having the company in an environment where product growth can be so reliant on paid media. It's a real pleasure to speak to someone who values investing time into more risk taking and more outside of the box and unconventional ways of getting that growth within their brand. Um, so make sure you're listening as well to the back half of this episode where Daniel and I really get stuck into that topic. 
So a massive thank you to Daniel for being on the show. I, I really appreciated this chat. It was great to have the conversation. It's great to have this episode being brought out as part of Producing with Purpose. So with no further intro from me, uh, let's get stuck into it. Just a quick note that the first 30 seconds or so from Daniel were a little bit distorted where he had some microphone issues, but that um, that stops after about 30 seconds or a minute. So again, here we have Daniel Flynn, co-founder of Thank You. Today on Producing with Purpose, I am joined here by Daniel Flynn, the co-founder of Thank You. Um, for for anyone close to me, they'll know, and this is information for you off the bat, Daniel, that uh, you were on my list of when I started this podcast, I had a couple of people right at the top that were like, this is the example of the people I want on this podcast, and you were one of them. So I'm stoked to have you Very here, mate. Fun. So yeah, thank Very you for fun. joining me. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. It's a great way to start. I feel good and appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. That's it. Um, and I'll hit you up after for some contacts so I can get the rest of the people on my list too. <laughs> I, I, weird. You should do it on air and then I have to sort of like, yeah, yeah, do it. No, I'd love to. I'd love to. Awesome, mate. Cool. So, look, I mean, what I, what I don't want to do today is go too much into the backstory of Thank You yep. and too much of your journey, um, not because it's not interesting, because it's one of the most interesting, but because there's so much resource out there already. Um, so, you know, if people go onto your site, there's a beautiful talk that you give. I'll put that in the show notes so people can, you know, maybe even pause now and go and watch that first. But just for anyone listening, just contextualize, give us the, the elevator pitch of what Thank You is. Yeah, awesome. Look, uh, so thank you a social enterprise and simply we sell consumer product that exists all for the end of extreme poverty. Uh, I suppose the idea itself is born from this, the, really this thought that we live in one world that has two extremes. So we have extreme poverty, uh, 736 million people living in extreme poverty, mm -hmm. but we also have what we would term extreme consumerism. We yeah. spend like $63 trillion dollars collectively as consumers each year and so really in our mind thank you is a bridge between those two extremes and i, I kind of think of it almost like upside down it's like flipping the philanthropic model like mm -hmm. usually to make a big impact as a philanthropist you you've got to be kind of that billionaire collectively we sort of all could be if we just chipped in the little we each spend each week so i suppose that's the idea um there's a heap of history and, and you're right i think one point to just touch on the idea itself is there, but then the secrets behind it really come down to people. And I'm sure we'll unpack that in the growth hacking kind of journey, mm -hmm. but people have backed this in the most unique ways. And it's been those ideas and campaigns that have helped what I think is a, a good idea. Yeah. Cut into the real world. One thing I want to touch on as well, um, because I think it's really important in any business. And to be honest, you know, we're, we're in lockdown at the moment. I'm early days in starting a business. And one thing that's as much of a wrestling match, I suppose, as, you know, operating the business is also the mindset that you, you know, you wake up every day with. It's definitely a, definitely a battle of its own. Um, and I know that, you know, a lot of people, when you started this out, basically told you it's, it's not possible. And you had a, you know, you had to retaliate that, but, you know, but what if it works? So in those early days when you were, you know, you were grinding and grinding for three years and seeing limited results, what was your mindset to get up every day and just keep pushing? Uh, look, it's a, it's a complex, it's a simple question and the answer is complex. And I think we've been, 
I know myself, I've been mining the answer to that for years now, and I still kind of discover more. I, I, I think that that drive comes from, uh, you know, mission. You know, I talked about extreme poverty. So to me, there's this mission element. And I was so moved at the beginning by stories of kids that didn't have access to clean water. I was disturbed the deeper I looked at the state of the world we were in. So, so there was a drive there. Yeah. Uh, the vision of this thing, which is not just, hey, the world's in a tough spot. It's also that, man, we spend so much money on stuff. And, and to me, it was a very compelling idea. And I think, yeah, compelled is, is yeah. sort of what helps me get up. It's like, and, and there's a part of me, and, and it may be just, you know, how my mind works and, and others, I'm sure, too. But once I see an idea, I find it quite hard to unsee it or yeah. to walk away. And so to walk away from this when it got hard, knowing, but I've imagined, I feel like I've seen what this could be. And it doesn't exist yet. There's not, there's not oh, well, they're, yeah, they're doing it so... And because of that, it just, it almost felt like irresponsible or like yeah. I had a job to do. I, I like, this has got to exist. And um, so that's part of it. Um, and, and I think too, yeah, I suppose the more time has gone on, I've realized, wow, there are probably things in my upbringing, deep mm. beliefs and core ideas that like interwoven helped me get up, um, you know, and uh, also, I found university, particularly what I was studying, quite. Let's just say I was, I was very easily distracted from it. It wasn't. It wasn't compelling me, and so you know that all fed into it. And so some days I'm getting up because I'm driven. I want to see the end of extreme poverty. Other days I'm kind of probably avoiding uni work, so I'm just sort of sending a few more emails. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. So you, you mentioned there. Um you know, that there was no one else doing this and you felt compelled, you felt that you had a responsibility to see that through. And when you described at the beginning how it's effectively putting philanthropy, you know, philanthropy on its head and coming to be the, really to be the collective billionaire giving, giving the money, were you surprised that that wasn't being done? Were you like, how, how am I the person who's bringing this to life? Yeah, and, and I need to give context to it because the idea of social business and social enterprise has been around for a long time. And there are some absolute heroes in the space. And, you know, there are... And, and, and so, in one respect, arguably, oh, it's not new. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's where I would probably... Uh, it's, it's the wording. What I saw didn't exist yet. And I suppose that's very, very nuanced and personalized to what I saw didn't exist. And, and, and the easiest way I could describe it is when I turn up to any category at a consumer product level or at a service level, I'm rarely or maybe never most impressed by a brand that exists all for the end of, you know, righting a wrong or a social injustice. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm often compelled great design, great innovation, and it's some cool company and it's helping whether it's the founders or the investors or whatever, shareholders just kind of get to the moon and beyond. And I love product and there's a heap of products I loved and there's a heap of services and service experiences that I loved. 
but there wasn't one in all of those categories that I could be like, that's a better way to, to do it for the world we live in or maybe want to live in. And so for me, I'm like, let's take this social business thing into the hardcore mainstream, yeah. um, very mainstream, and because there's incredible niche concepts. How to go to the mainstream? How do we give the Coca-Colas of the world, not that I love that product, but how do we give that end of town an absolute run for their money? Um, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's what compelled me. Um, if, yeah. I, th- I think that's huge, Matt. And, you know, for people who listen to this um, podcast more frequently, they'll have heard me go on this sort of spiel, I suppose, a few times. But I think that's, that's exactly my mentality towards things. And I suppose that is the realm of conscious capitalism then, is that, you know, there's, there's so many amazing companies and so many people doing great things, but they're doing it at a very lo- like local level. And it's all very good and well to be selling your product that's changing the world at the local market but the actual impact you can have there is it's just honestly pretty small we need to be rivaling we need to be finding ways to break the mainstream to put pressure onto those bigger companies who have basically proven that they can't be trusted to do the right thing and yeah you know and i think that's part of going into what we'll talk about in a second is your transition now to try and just have the most impact to find a way to turn your business model into having the greatest impact possible. Um, but before we touch on that, one thing I wanted to know as well is, you know, you came out of uni and got stuck into this and, you know, it, it is a hell of a vision. It's a hell of a thing to execute along the way. Did you, did you sort of take on any business coaching? Did you try and like how did you actually educate yourself into a position where you were able to scale this to this level or did you just wing it <laughs> uh yeah look it's a, it's a really good question i uh look people that are very uh intellectual and are very disciplined around education would probably uh, label the way I've approached things as winging it. Um, yeah. uh, for me, I would call it, you know, hungry to learn yeah. um, all the time. And so from, you know, when I was in my, like even you know, just nine or 10, and I started reading business books. Okay, yeah. I didn't fully understand them all, but I felt kind of cool reading them. Mm-hmm. And I, I, yeah, it was just something about it. I just, it was interesting. And so I was always interested in things and interested to uh, how does that work and why is that like that? And, and, and so that for me, literally, how does that play out? Um, well, I, I Google a lot of things and I, I, I kind of follow the rabbit warren and, and just, and, and read and then I would catch up with people and ask some questions. Um, and, uh, you know, this is not, we used to do it now we don't like there's a new category we're looking at and i have been doing some googling and yeah. i have then been meeting with people in that industry who've got decades and decades and it is amazing what you can learn in a moment when you ask really good questions and you listen you take notes and then you start to piece it all together and so we 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 would say thank you one of the secret weapons to seeing vision become reality is this learning which is a kind of a soft word or i would put it in traditionally quite a boring box but it is radical um because if you commit to it you you know it's like time travel in in five minutes time i could learn something yeah that could take into decades to discover and in five minutes i could know it um then putting into practice is a whole other thing um but yeah 
that that's the approach and um that's, well, I'll tell you what, man, that, that's reassuring because that's, effective, that's effectively the model of what we're doing right now is, you know, I'm out there trying to get your decades worth of experience and all right, you know, there's a million and one things you've learned on the way, but try and digest that into an hour for some, you know, really deep insight into that as well. Because that's it is, you know, there's a lot of formal education, but it doesn't prepare you for the trials and tribulations of actually getting stuck in and doing this yourself as well. Yeah, it doesn't. And that's the other hack piece that kind of a learning hack is you can listen, you can read all the books, but until you do, and there is something about stepping out, even if you fall flat on your face 50 times, it is like, it is a remarkable, I think jumping in the deep end is the other side of learning that I would credit. It's almost created that burning platform for like, quick, 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 figure this out, figure this out. What? What's that acronym mean? Why do you need that registration? Learn, learn, learn. So, you know, without that burning platform or that I'm in the deep end, I'm, I'm going to drown unless I learn real quick. I don't know if I'd be as driven. So, yeah. yeah. I think it's also like something to be said for that as well is like the having to learn rapidly and act rapidly and sometimes throwing a little bit of theory out the window is is what comes up with the best creation it's the same as you take something like music you can be a very theory driven musician you can know all your scales but sometimes it's the people who don't get constrained into that box and just create something that feels right that then make the masterpieces out of that as well i think it can be the same that you can get bogged down sometimes into the theory and it can slow you down yeah Um, yeah so all right so one big thing in business and one thing I want to talk with you today about is not being afraid to take a big pivot. Um, and the first, well, I'm sure there's been many pivots along the journey. Um, but one of the big ones, obviously, that I'd like to address is your, your decision to stop producing Thank You Water. Um, and of course, there, I mean, there are some great reasons behind that. And I'll let you talk about that now. Um, but also, was it, I suppose, empowering for you that you were able to do something that if you had a lot of shareholders or board members there, would probably have been met with a lot of, you know, a lot of pushback, but you still at the stage of your business had the flexibility to pull what was a massive revenue stream as well. Yeah. Um, all right. Two part question. Yeah. The second part's really interesting and they're very linked because when we started in 2008, bottled water was our first product Yeah. and we liked it partly because we kind of hated bottled water. And that's why we liked the product. We thought it was such a controversial, shouldn't exist. But really, bottled water to us is like a mirror to society and the reflection is very ugly. Mm. We value it. And and people listen can be like, I, I, I don't, which is cool. Um, but the world still does. Yeah. Like this, this, that blows my mind. In 2008, when we started, we were spending $50 billion globally on bottled water. Today, it's $140 billion. <sighs> And it's still growing and it's rapid and it's one of the fastest growing categories still, even though we're all like, but hasn't everyone stopped? <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. And, and, and so I, I think when we got into it, we're like, it's a reflection on society. It's not a good picture, but let's turn up with a product that exists to fund water projects around the world. And in our enthusiasm, optimism, maybe a bit of naivety, we thought, it's not going to be too hard to find a very you know, sustainable way to do it. Yeah. There's a few things being talked about. Um, as time went on and the more we researched and the more we looked at things, it actually it got really difficult. Um, we would say that like we're a brand that's values-driven, 
and so uh, the 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 sort of the conversation got weird when it was like, well, here's an option that ninety eight percent of the public would say, you've nailed it, thank you, solved the issue, you've got this biodegradability factor or whatever. But those that actually know that technology and when you compare that to maybe, you know, single-use plastic that can be recycled and you look at the full life cycle analysis, it's not better. Yeah. Like some cases, sounds greener, is worse. And so we would sit back going, oh, man, this is really difficult because if we want to tick a box, we could tick that very quickly. Yeah. But it's, it, it's not the right tick. It's actually... And, and so then we got to the point of, uh, you know what? The only right or better step is out. Mm. Now, that, got, that was a difficult conversation, and we were likely, I would say, too slow on that. Um, and, and we did wrestle. We had a, a much bigger business and boards and directors and all of that. And so we had, we debated probably for years the exit of water yeah, okay. um, yeah. because it represented not just millions of current dollars, but if we extrapolated that out to thank you going to other countries, very quickly, that's hundreds of millions. And then it's even bigger than that. And it's still a fast growing category that everyone says they don't buy, but people still do. And it's growing and it's very profitable. So it, it it's a really interesting conversation. I remember when we were on a flight to New Zealand, uh, Justine, uh, my co-founder, and uh, we're married for those who, who don't know the backstory, but we're flying over and she was, uh, so her role uh, was brand director and she's saying, I'm not comfortable with this brand entering New Zealand with water. So mm. we may still be debating in Australia, but we're not taking it to New Zealand. And, okay. And, and, you know, for me, I mean, we, we, we debated slash argued, but debated the whole flight. Like if you were sitting near us, you'd be like, whoa. And like, <laughs> and like I, I, I agreed in principle, but then I'm like, financially, it's so, it's so critical. Um, also, um, you know, it's such a simple entry product. And so we had all these stories we told ourselves, but we had the courage, and I'd say courage, to launch Thank You into New Zealand without water, which to a lot of Australians is like, what do you, what do you mean you launched Thank You? What? You know, yeah. I mean, we still meet people like, well, I love you, Thank You Water Hand Wash. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> um, in, in New Zealand, we launched um, Personal Care Only, and Thank You worked, and people bought into the idea, and bottled water, although I thought, oh, it's an important part of our story. No, it's an important part of our history. And so that gave us a level of confidence. It didn't make it easy. Um, we mm. still, the day we finished up and the day we stopped investing in bottled water and pulling out, uh, that was a very, yeah, you just saw millions of dollars yeah. of real money disappear. And, 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 and for, for the right reason, long yeah. term, um, and, and so we, we really believe that Thank You is building a brand and that brand long-term in lots of categories will will make all of the money back if the brand makes the right fundamental decisions. So it was one of those long-game calls. Um, we believe in it. And uh, Simon Sinek uses this uh, term, which I've honestly forgotten, but you should all go listen to all of Simon Sinek stuff. But yeah. Basically, I'm going to like lose. I'm going to try and describe it um, without nailing the term uh, because I'm not Simon Sinek. But he says <laughs> that you you basically have the ability 
to make a 180 degree turn hmm. if it improves or betters the mission that you set out on. Yeah. And so we've made some calls that are like, whoa, hang on. You've really literally shifted your position on a couple of degrees, but almost the other way. Yeah. But fundamentally, we did that to further the, the mission and to ultimately reach it. And so we're not afraid of those. They're rare, but they're very important and likely everyone will have to do it at some point. I think that's it. Is There are so many situations where in a, in a business, you're going to have to make that decision. You're going to have to make that pivoting decision. And actually, you put a great quote into there as well as, you know, it, it can be part of your history, but it's not part of your company now and that's really important is what is the company now today standing for you know there are, there are companies out there that have been you know going through generations and hundreds of years and they have to acknowledge what was part of the history but that doesn't mean it applies now and sometimes you've just got to make got to make those calls and then i suppose another one of those to transition into next is the more i believe is more recent is your yeah. pivot now into yeah, and this is a big one, Matt, going into the, the licensing model. So first off, I mean, obviously, I've done my, my digging and my reading, but there's a little complexity to that. So for anyone listening, yeah. just, I suppose, explain your shift there as best as you can. Yeah, so look, licensing is a quick term that people can grab onto. Turns out it's a very common way of doing business. Essentially, it's partnerships. So it's two companies yeah. using the best of what each of them have, hmm. but together, and an example um, could be uh, Yeezy, so Kanye's brand uh, design shoes, and they do, they design great shoes and have a great brand, but it's actually Adidas that has the license to make and distribute that shoe. Yeah. And so I think the last stats I heard was Yeezy might be up at like $1.5 billion in shoe sales. Um, and look, at the end of the day, Adidas know how to run a multi-billion dollar shoe business yeah. globally. They're very, very, that's really what they've got good at. Um, and, and the team at Yeezy know, hey, we do design, we do brand, there's some stuff we, we do really well. Yeah. So um, that's the partnership and they make a royalty um, or a licensing fee for that. Uh, I think theirs actually sits at 10%, so about $150 million a year, mm-hmm. which if you are listening and you think that doesn't sound like a huge chunk of the pie, once you run a product company, I mean, if you're able to pull it up 10% net profit at the end of the day, you're doing very well. And I never understood that. Like, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You make a lot more money. No, it is very, very, very hard. In fact, many product companies aren't making profit. Yeah. Like 10% would be a dream. So once we kind of spent years running the, the, the product company, essentially it's like, oh, hang on. We're trying to build to use that example, the Adidas global shoe, you know, efficient, we're trying to build that and be profitable and give that profit whilst competing with all these companies who've got the scale. And, uh, you know, we, we've got a interesting couple of years, I'd call them the kind of the, the dark ages. That was just a really tough patch. At mm. Thank you. And it, it went for four years. Um, yeah. Okay. And it was, it was from 2017 after the chapter one book launch. We can, we basically we had a very successful launch. Yeah. But the next two launches, one into the baby category, launching nappies and then launching into New Zealand, they were the, the they were the battle of our lives. Right. And 
we ultimately didn't really win. Um, so really quickly, we got into the nappy category. We got 10% market share in the first few months. It was our most successful launch ever. People said that'll never happen. You won't be able to shift. It's the hardest category to move yeah. someone. You know, thank you's got no chance. Like what people put on their babies, they're very precious and you don't have the trust. We got it. It was groundbreaking. But then the companies we compete with up their promotional spend. One group went from 17 weeks a year on promotion to 33 weeks. The number two followed. It became an all-out price war. There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on. And it was, it was insane. And it nearly killed, thank you, as in because you invest so much money in this stuff, it's kind of scary. And, And so we could have lost all the thank you because of that. And ultimately, we, we, we didn't get thank you in the nappy category to where it needed to be to be sustainable. And then New Zealand, you could almost overlay the launch and the graphs that look identical. Incredible. One of our most, well, most successful personal care launch. And then boom, competition went crazy. And we sat back feeling very, very heavy. Yeah. We believe in this vision, but all of a sudden, it's not working. And And... Someone in the industry, a CEO actually of a very big company, I, I made a joke. I said, oh, it's getting a bit harder to launch these days. And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, well, when Thank You started, no offense, but no one took it seriously. Yeah. And now when you launch, it works and you get loyalty and you get market share. So naturally, if you're going into a category, everyone's going to prepare. Uh, and mean- it was this real... Yeah, yeah. I was just saying on one hand, like, I mean, it it's, <laughs> makes it really fucking difficult and you're like, you've got to compete against that. But then on the other hand, you're like, we're making some serious impact. There must be a little bit of you. It's like, it, it feels good to, it feels good to actually be in that position to put the pressure on and to make them take note. So, so it, yeah, in one sense, it's like, okay, cool. This is a, um, this is a sign of progress yeah. and this is something, you know, that we should be proud of. But just to let the listeners know, it, it it's scary stuff. I mean, when a, when a business isn't profitable, that's not great um, mm. uh, in general. But if thank you is not profitable, I mean, we make the commitment to you, to me as a thank you customer, that we're here to make the profit, to give that, to help end extreme poverty. So, so we feel like a double weight on the yeah. protection of profitability let alone just the good business stewardship. We just feel like this moral, deep obligation. I mean, it's, and so that's a challenge because when you're fighting these fights, all of a sudden your theoretical on paper in Excel profitability, it can get smashed. And even worse than that, you can, you can run heavy losses. You can um, have some pretty hair raising moments. And so we realized in these battles, not only are we, you know, getting crushed in some of them, we're also risking everything. And, and so we actually got to the point, there was a project internally we called Project Salvation. Um, yeah. It's kind of drastic, but we felt like oh, we've got to save this model. And so we went, okay, how do we, how do we re-engineer this? And the simple thought was this. Imagine, thank you, going back into the nappy category. We launch, we get 10% market share, but... Instead of getting crushed by multiple multinational companies, what if one of them, and that in, in global nappy land, there's yeah. Huggies and there's Pampers. Pampers is owned by P&G. 
And those two companies run the world. Imagine if one of them had the exclusive license to make and distribute the Thank You Nappy. Now, they can't own Thank You, but yeah. together we go in. Now, that's a very interesting concept. To be honest, on paper, that could change the entire game. Flags we had is like, well, hey, we're Thank You, and we're not, A, ever going to sell out, so that was important. B, what about the ethics and supply chain? Truth is, a lot of companies, certainly ones we've approached, their ethics and sustainability is remarkable. I yeah. mean, they have some of them better than many startups who claim to be sustainable. And so we, we had to take a hard look and a real humble position of some of these guys are really nailing it and we've got to honor that. And we also had to change our perspective and zoom out. And I would use, we use this term, I thank you, operational humility. Like we had to kind of look at the operations, get a little bit more humble and say, hey, we do some stuff good, but we do some other stuff average. Yeah. And what what if we... What if we worked together and we, we kind of redefined Goliath? You know, we would often see ourselves as a challenger brand. And, and naturally, the Goliaths might be like, I don't know, the big corporate, the big company. But really, if you think about Thank You's mission, the, the true Goliath is global consumerism. It's that $63 trillion number. And it's like, and it's the gap between that and extreme poverty. And so... We then we then went, hey, we're, we're actually looking for these these big companies. We just need one of them per category thank yous in to join us and together we become a bigger David to truly take down the Goliath. And so that was our rethink. Licensing was kind of the the mechanic um, to, to do it. And it's very profitable. Uh, we think more profitable than even running the product company ourselves for 10 years. Um, but that will depend on where all of the current negotiations land. Yeah. Um, but that's the idea behind it. And it's, it's a 180 degree shift without compromising on our values for ultimately the mission. Yeah. I mean, it definitely sounds like there's, there's not compromising on values there. The, the bottom line is, is when somebody goes through the checkout with a product that you're creating in any of those spaces, if they're buying your product instead of somebody else's product, that's profit that goes to that goes to a program you want to support so it doesn't really matter how that sale gets made or who's getting it in front so that that decision gets made it's the end the end goal is just always going to be more money going to the places that you want to get it to yeah that's it more money from your purchase and that's our that's our really what we're holding on to is how do we make that moment the most impactful and sustainable so that is that's the job, and, and we have launched a bold campaign. We went very public with this. This, for us, isn't a series of backroom secret deals. Yeah. We're like, nope, this is about transparency. This is about being fully open. So if you read our website, you'll hear about how it all works, and you'll see percentages and a whole bunch of stuff. But we launched a video called No Small Plan, which was an invitation, very public, uh, in the personal care category to literally the 11 biggest companies on the planet, we specifically called out the big two, Unilever and P&G, and we invited them uh, to join us on the mission. Uh, and we we literally sent them these uh, invitations, talking about the licensing agreement. We put them in a like a two by two meter wooden crate or two by one meter. We put them in a 26 foot glass truck, delivered them to the head offices in Cincinnati and London. We like we've invited and we invited the whole industry, and it has led to because remember we only need one not 
11. Um, And we've had uh, those organizations come back, but what's been really interesting, and we we hoped, but we've had many others reach out who are like, hey, we're not the big, we're not the big 11, but we do Europe, or we do US, or we do Asia, and here's what we can do. And, And so, yeah, I think originally we thought, oh, we'll sign one big partner, and now it's very, it's going to be very interesting how this story ends because there are so many companies that, yeah, I, I, I think where we'll land, we'll see. But, but I, I, I wonder if we'll land on a few partners all in different regions because what we're looking for is not one big company. We're looking yeah. for the revolutionists. We're looking for the people and big companies who, who, who want business not as usual. And it turns out in all of our conversations, some want to maintain and protect the status quo. And it blows my mind. I'm thinking how this is, this sounds like a Kodak kind of conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then there are others that literally want a revolution. And, you know, we've had some companies, one in particular that said, hey, first call, thank you for this. This is incredible. We actually talked about buying you guys or approaching you and we for years. But we decided we never... We never want to because we don't want to change thank you and you know and so we just kind of ruled it out and then you've put this forward and we're just like this is not just potentially good for us if you were to partner with us but we think it's bigger than us yeah this is this is the whole industry and this is a new way forward for the world and i love that um and that's a great example we've had some other pretty weird examples of just you know status quo protection but you know that's okay you only need a few people to change your world. Exactly, Matt. And when you come off of calls like that, um, I mean, you know, you started this you started this whole journey young as well. You know, you got stuck straight into all of it. Are there times, and you've been, you know, you've been through ups and you've already talked about some of the downs and the real downs with it as well. You still come off a call like that and you're like, how, how did we end up in this position? Like, how did we end up in this situation? It must be mind-blowing sometimes. Yeah, it is. It is. Um it was uh, the I did an interview when we launched this campaign. It kind of it took off. So we had in the first couple of weeks when, when we launched this video, we had uh, well, we ended up getting 840 media features in 35 countries, right? Wow. So not Australia, Australia. There was like 19 or 20. Like Australia was no offense to our country that we grew up in, but it was not super. Uh, just didn't really. I don't know. But other countries like in throughout Japan and. India and you know South America were just bouncing around different regions and um, I was it was a really wild time. But one of the interviews, um, the guy asked, he said, "So Daniel, you've got meetings coming up because we were quite public. Yeah, we've we've put in the invitation, some Zoom links <laughs> to yeah. some Zoom meetings for the biggest companies on the planet. So how do you prepare for these? Like, what are you going to say? Have you thought it through? And I'm sitting there going." This is a really good point. And like we're a couple of days out from I'm thinking like, yeah, like I know like loosely we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about the vision and partnership and like but it but it was one of those even just as you're like in those moments about to click on the zoom link, it's sort of like a bit of a heart race like how do we get here? Are we ready to be here? Yeah. Is this gonna be a total face plant? And I tell you what, you click 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 open and mix of different things you know some obviously very very formal you know legal counsels are represented in the room and it's all very formal. others when you hear like a hey thank you 
Like, I just want to start by saying thank you. And you hear a story like that, yeah, that's a moment where you just think, this is, yeah, there, there, this is a revolution and we got to be a little part in it. Let's go. Yeah, a big part in it, man, for sure. Getting into those rooms and having, and the thing is, at the end of the day, all of the people in these companies who are joining these calls with you, there are other people as well who have got their ethics and their values. And, you know, regardless of what the company is that they're working in, people love you know the idea that you've got the way you're trying to flip this it's almost impossible not to get behind it and you know from a bigger corporate decision maybe some companies that you know they don't want to get behind it because of their own uh, you know their own agenda or their own needs but on an individual level it's so hard not to just love what you're doing and get behind it so yeah and and, and look we are one of our jobs we think is to agitate um maybe that's too strong a word but it's disrupt right um I remember talking to one of the companies. We've spoken to many, yeah. uh, many, many, many. So I don't want to like single out one, but you know, he made it pretty clear. He's like, look, you know, from the global CEO and and above, like you've you've definitely made everyone feel quite uncomfortable with this. Yeah, probably You know, like it's 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 an uncomfortable thing, and you know, we're not we're not sort of you know very comfortable with the approach, and um, also not going to go ahead with it because. Uh, shareholder XYZ and XYZ XYZ and and that's why we went public with this um, we've had backroom conversations before with different companies and you, you meet them and you go through the normal channel and you meet these amazing humans all throughout the biggest companies on the planet yeah. and they literally are like people who are like very very talented very responsible for huge things but they want to help use the resource of that organization to make a difference because they believe in a better world. And the companies ultimately do, but I'm happy to call it out. Like I do think it's going to be a defining time in our history between companies that really embrace what their own team want, which is to, to use enterprise to create a better world and companies that say, yeah, but at the end of the day, the shareholder drive and mandate is so strong we will tell you we're making a difference. We will make you feel fuzzy and warm, but we're not changing because that return is so critical. And I would love to say there are more companies in that camp than that, but I would say that there's probably a still a shocking amount in the other camp yeah. because at the end of the day, shareholders do. The control mechanism is incredible and we've been on the edge of some of the most beautiful partnerships at scale that would transform not just the world but also the companies and the the team and the history and the narrative but it's it's blocked because one box must be ticked and it can't be ticked because thank you is not prepared to tick it and we, we walk away and i just sit there going like ah yeah ah. but that's okay revolutions start and one day the world will change and those that don't change with it will you know, be part part of history. And I think, you know, we're, we're coming up now, or at least optimistically, I think, so that that change is coming, that shift is coming, where it will be more in the camp who want to have the good impact and want to do right by their team and the world. And I feel like we are a generation of businesses away from there being a shift yeah. in one or the other. Um, yeah. So I hope that is the case for sure. So you talked a little bit there um, you use the word disrupt or agitate, whichever it might be, which leads into 
I suppose the the final topic or the main topic that I wanted to talk a bit about today and that's you know the title of this episode it's growth hacking for good and especially in the early days I suppose well you know you've got a lot of brand equity now in terms of you know the brand perception and you can get into some of those rooms but in the early days when you're stepping into those rooms with 7-Eleven for example and trying to get the water in there and places like that you relied a lot on your community you relied a lot on essentially growth hacking and some different techniques there was that yeah i suppose where did that attitude towards it come from you know rather than going down a more traditional route so um we tried the traditional route and you know if you can make it work for you uh more power to you um we we couldn't um we couldn't we tried not like we didn't try for three months we tried for three years yeah so so we tried for three years all of the traditional routes. We met with all the people at every level. We got other people to come to the meetings. We, 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 like, we, we tried what felt like every option, and we kept getting stuck by this simple idea that I could, well, I could sum it up by saying this. People like ideas, mm-hmm. so they'll listen. Oh, they'll book a meeting. With, oh, you want to make a difference? Oh, we do too. Let's meet. Great. Yeah. So you can get a meeting that's not actually the hardest bit, but that jump between idea to them taking a risk, and it is a risk, you know, for any major business or retail, it's a huge risk for them to take a brand, it's one in, one out, take a brand off the shelf to put an unknown on the shelf. Yeah. Now, what gives them peace in doing that is not just a good idea, but have you got enough money, uh, you know, marketing dollars, expertise, you know, to really help lower the risk of failure yeah we didn't have that we didn't have that money we didn't have the what you meant to have the millions of dollars and most i would say social organizations or people studying that social mission don't have that either so uh that that's hard um because you're an unknowing and so i don't look at those three years and say the retailers were were idiots they had no idea no they're not they they had they're doing their job. Yeah, they were doing their jobs correctly, basically. Uh, 100% yeah. doing their job. It's actually our job. And so so for us, we had this view of extreme ownership. This is not their problem and their issue. This is our issue. we gotta, we got to figure this out because our job is to get the product in. And we've tried the traditional routes. It hasn't worked. They have a fear of what if people don't buy it? We don't have the money to solve it. And then we had this idea of kind of pulling the product through uh, and we launched the first campaign, which was 7-Eleven. We said, hey, everyone jump onto the 7-Eleven Facebook wall. We're pitching to them in two weeks. Tell them that if they stock, thank you that you buy it. And it was a way of kind of getting a pre-commitment of, yeah, I'm in. And it it took off and 7-Eleven, it lowered their risk a bit. Some would argue it was a pressure campaign. Yeah, there was pressure applied. But it was for purpose, and that's it. Yeah, and the pressure was the like we we had tried all traditional routes for all retailers in this country, so uh, you know we we applied some pressure, um, and it was deeply thought through, um, and I think they got that once once we started to to meet with them, they're like, oh, you guys aren't just like these guerrilla marketers trying to be annoying. You you've actually thought all this through. Um, and, and we had, and, and it worked. I mean, sales went really well. Uh, we outsold brands from day one. 
went on to make millions of dollars. They traveled to, I remember Cambodia with one of their directors, uh, looking at the impact. And it was just such, it became such a beautiful story. But it, we had to really own how do we show them what we see. And I would say that is the job of every founder, every leader, every person starting anything with an idea. It is your job to help someone see what you see. And you cannot just sit back and go, well, they don't see it. It's their issue. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I would have been able to launch, but I just, they just, no one saw it. My challenge is, well, how do you hack them to see it? And that campaign was an example. Um, and there are many more. That's awesome, man. And so you've, you've been operating for three years up until that point. How did you, obviously, you've got to have a level of established community to then get on there and get them to go onto that Facebook page and do it. What was, like, how did you build that up? By this point in Thank You's journey, how would you build up a community that were willing to go and fight for you, basically? Yeah, so um, this is the hard bit. There yeah. wasn't a shortcut. We couldn't buy fans. They wouldn't do yeah. anything for you. Um, you know, we couldn't we couldn't fake it. Um, we, so we, we had, I would say we built that community room by room. We would speak at schools. We would speak wow. at community groups. We would... We would go and tell the story and little by little over three years, more and more people followed our pages. And I reckon three years in, uh, when we launched that 7-Eleven campaign, we had, wait for it, 12,000 and something, 12,000 followers, which yeah. I'll be honest, wasn't huge. Yeah. I mean, there, there were groups that started like, you know, and a week later they got half a million. So we, we always viewed our community following as terrible. The numbers suck. They do compared to a random meme page. Oh, cool. Welcome to the internet. A, you know, bajillion followers. It's like, ah. But there's 12,000 12, engaged members of a community. Is that, that's extremely hard to obtain. You know, that's. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'll be honest, of the 12,000, those that really took action were way smaller than that. But yeah. they were engaged. They were yeah. bought in. That, and we presented a very compelling call to action. So that, that's also interesting too. We built a small community. We put forward a very clear and concise problem. And it was very clear, we need you. And we're meeting in two weeks. And we're either going and no one's back this and we look like kind of idiots. was sort yeah. of the implied message. Or you're coming with us and this might work. For sure. it's, it is it's that engagement and it all comes down and it's the whole point of you know having discussions with people who have founded businesses like yours that if you've got that underlying purpose and that's that is the future of business that is why we're going to see that shift is because if that purpose exists people are willing to go to bat for you and it's yeah. you know it's extremely important to have that and i'd say in a way like you know you've we've touched on it a couple of times about flipping the really the not-for-profit model on its head a little bit as well but do you think there's an element of, uh, and I come from not for profit, not for profit marketing. That was like my way back kind of career. Yeah. Cool. Do you think there's a little element of that that gave you the view of the the way of campaigning things? I suppose it's more campaign driven rather than yeah. like you know just ad spend driven. Yeah, we definitely are inspired by campaigners and activists, and you know the kind of yeah, that there is something about that. And, and, I mean, social change is really, 
groups of humans just all aligning on a concept and voicing that. So we would say that's what thank you ultimately is. The product is a part in that story. Um, But that's all it is, you know, Um, it's, it's the bridge, but you know, we've got, we've, yeah. Um, Yeah. No, that's it, man. It's using, using the product as a bridge. It's a huge, it's a huge part of it. And, I suppose, do you have, as you scale now, or as you, you know, plan to scale with these partnerships that are hopefully going to come off for you very soon, and, you know, Thank You is just going to have that distribution that it really needs to take it to the next level, are you worried that you'll lose a bit of the ability to have some of that more kind of raw tactic around doing things by scaling, or is that the whole purpose of licensing it, so to speak, that you still retain that? Yeah, so... um you know, our message to partners, you know, and retailers and future partners is that whilst the story on reflection sounds wild, we really think through each growth hack. We think through the, for us, the win-win-win. And so 7-Eleven was a win-win-win. No small plan is a win-win-win. And yes, we're prepared to do a little bit of discomfort in that process, a little bit of that, oh, whew, but we're okay with that because we, we, we see win, win, win versus we don't see like a win yeah. and you, you, you don't win. So uh, now that's, that's really important. I mean, we're not just sort of shoot from the hip. Yeah. What are we going to attack next? That we're building. And, and as you build, like if you think about a skyscraper, you know, you might need some wrecking ball to kind of smash an old building at the bottom of the thing. But if you use that wrecking ball, the higher structure goes just to kind of knock stuff out, you will risk the whole thing coming down. So we would say we are building strategically. However, we are building strategically. So we, we need to maintain the brand and the ability to build. And so that's in part why Thank is never selling out and we need the ability to strategically build. Um, it is not about we just want to have a wrecking ball. We can keep swinging around. No, we do not want to risk everything that has been built, but we need to keep building. And so that is a huge thing. Um, and that's why the licensing model for us works. You know, same with Yeezy. I think the moment Yeezy as a brand loses its ability to kind of go left when everyone else goes right, yeah. um, it, people will be out. Now, People may already be out. Um, I don't actually have a pair of Yeezys. I really, anyway. But like the point, like the point, <laughs> the point is like brands must retain their authenticity, and it doesn't take much for them to lose it. And I think it's really important with a brand like yours as well, because let's be real: the the majority of people are going when they're buying your products will only know a fraction of the underlying story of it as well. Yeah. So for you, you know, you're your ability to be nimble in the way that you operate and, you know, to use guerrilla marketing to get into places, all of that underlying foundational work of how to get there, there's not, that's not then on display when somebody goes to buy it. You've still got to then have the great product, the great infrastructure, the great branding, everything on display. Yeah. You know, it's getting you in there, but you've still got to finish the job and you've still got to be a robust and well-established company once you're in front of someone on a shelf. Exactly right. And that, that, that's probably where, you know, some of our growth hacks, I would, uh, anyone listening or anyone who goes and follows our story, 
here's a heads up for you. Look at the date between each of them. So look at the date between each launch and you'll be like, oh, two years, two years, three years. What happened there? What happened there? We were really thinking through everything that we could design, packaging, product, you know, how would they respond? Is there any way we can mitigate that? Like what, what are the ways we can do it? Maybe let's try traditional. Okay. That didn't work. Try again. Okay. Definitely didn't work. One more time. Definitely didn't work. Okay, cool. Let's go our untraditional route and that'll tick some people off. But later, later, they may thank us and like, let's, let's, let's be okay with that. And so we spend time like thinking that through because at the end of the day, um, everything has to be good. The pricing for us, the distribution, the service, like that B2B has to be, you know, world-class. Then the relationship with the brand of the customer has to be, it has to be world-class. I'd argue at times better than world-class. And the reason I say that is unfortunately, and it's changing now, but often because something's social in some way, yeah. uh, there is a, I would say a broader view, not that many people would voice this, but a thought in their head is, I wonder if the quality is as good. I mean, you know, if they're giving money away and they're not, they're focused on other things and I, I might feel more comfortable spending my money with a company that just focuses on being a, a good toothbrush instead of a good toothbrush and making a whole bunch of other things happen too. Absolutely. And I think the problem is to an extent is, and you know, if you take the personal care sector, that there is a lot of examples that have given people to, to feel that way. Um, so it is, yeah, it is a tough one. And to be honest, that's part of what, you know, comes in and we haven't talked too much about it, but the, the brand I start, it is, it's an ethical fashion brand, but first and foremost as well was a, was a vegan fashion brand because my frustration there was that the perception of it was always, yeah, but it's probably not as good quality as it. That's the whole, that's the exact vibe people get, you know, it's vegan footwear. It's probably not, it's not as good though, is it? So that's why, you know, our tagline for the brand is all quality, no sacrifice, because the whole point is, is we are bringing this, but we are not going to let it be something that's not as good because you have to go above and beyond. Um, So I, yeah, I completely see the the challenge in that as well. And look, I think, I think your approach is good. We, we would say uh, there's two rules you can see them on our website, but rule one, make great product. Rule two, never break rule one. Yeah. And rule two has a little asterisk that says never use a good cause to sell an average product. And so we are relentless on that product quality. And we used to try and shout the cause, and now we're like, let's dial that down yeah. real low. Um, because it's funny, we thought about it like if you turn up at a party or a barbecue, and you're like, hey, everybody, I give lots of money to charity. Like, what person, like, how do you feel at the party? You're like, oh, gosh, what an interesting conversation. <laughs> like, it's just that weird. Yeah. Do, you, do you come in and as soon as you meet someone, announce all the good? And so we're like, no, we want to be the people at the party. They're like, yeah, oh, that's interesting. What? What do you mean? Hang on up. Tell me more. Yeah. It all goes. It can't all go. It does. How does that work? Like, that's the conversation we want to have versus the, like, big trumpets. And I think that's also how we avoid some of the quality challenges that, that you're facing. And it's, um, I, I like your approach. Yeah, that's it. It's coming like your two rules. Like you come in quality first and then let, let it be the surprise and delight when people find out yeah. the underlying goodness behind it as well. And I think that's a really important 
bit of guidance for anyone who starts a business with purpose. Um, you know, obviously yours is to an absolutely amazing level where all profit goes to that, but that's it. It's, pr- it's product first and then let, you know, let the consumer enjoy the product while you focus on the purpose, basically. So, yeah. Cool. All right. But well, I'm, I'm conscious of time as well. So I want to come out the other end and start um, working towards closing this out. But just touching finally on that little area of, you know, growth hacking, marketing, all of, you know, the strategy and the ideas that came together. Have you got any recommendations for people in terms of either books, people they should check out? What inspired you through that process? Yeah, look, there's a couple of books that come to mind. One is Seth Godin's book, The Purple Cow. Yeah. Brilliant book. Yeah, I, I mean, love it. <laughs> it is just, it is a simple read, uh, very, very important book and foundational really to what we do. Another book that he wrote actually that I think is also foundational to what we, we do is, is a book called Tribes. Mm. Uh, Tribes. And it's a marketing book, but it's really a leadership book and yeah. great respect for Seth and his thinking. And we were great. We were actually blown away. He bought a copy of Chapter One which blew our mind. Wow, that's cool. Uh, it was so, like we wrote fan mail in it to him and we ended up very back before when you could travel, you know, spending time at his, his house and talking about thank you and where it could go. And he gave some really challenging but really good advice. But before meeting him, and he does, he sounds like the podcast, of course, but yeah. like he just, his, his, the wisdom in those books, I mean, they underline, um, underline them a lot. There's another book called, and I hope I get the title right, but it's Why Brands That Do Good Matter More. Okay. Actually, that's the tagline. The title of the book is Do Purpose. Okay, cool. I don't know who it's by, but, but it is like a kind of a quote picture book, but it's got very profound truths. So those two rules came from that book. And it is just like every page is like boom. And if you're building something, you know, for purpose in any way, that is like, you know, I, I want to buy it for you. Like, that is such a critical read. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot of amazing books and a lot of amazing amazing teaching. Uh, those are three that come to mind that uh, are super helpful. Love that, man. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Seth Godin. Um, so that's really cool. And th- those two books you mentioned are great. And that f- third one, though, I'll definitely have to check out. And um, no, that's that's great. And yeah, so when you drop me Seth's email as well, um, that'll be oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, have him on the show. Um, cool. So the, the last thing is, mate, obviously to roll out for you and let you tell us what's going on for the next 12 months and, you know, what you what you want to share and also how people, whether they're out purchasing a thank you product today or anything else they can do to just give you support right off the bat. Awesome. Well, look... Um, we are in a really critical time because we are, you know, coming to the end of, you know, we called the campaign No Small Plan. We should have called it No Short Plan. Yeah. Uh, so we thought we'd get it done in like, I think five weeks was our initial timeline. We are 10 months into these wow. negotiations and it is like, it's been a roller coaster. Um, the outcome is going to be truly remarkable in the story and what it, it just, I mean, I, as much as I've gone, ah, oh, this is drawn out, I'm like, we had to go through these 10 months. We had to learn. Yeah. We had to see under the hood of some companies. To, <laughs> we had to see that to know. Oh. And then we've also learnt a lot in it. So we look forward to announcing all of that when it lands. 
uh, and those who are in and what that looks like. Um, but, you know, thank you's got a pretty big, uh, you know, ambitious future in the next year and beyond launching into other markets. So these partnerships are global-based partnerships, you know, and, and so thank you will be popping up throughout Asia, Europe, US, Africa, cool. um, uh, hopefully South America too. So it, it, this is one of those moments of like, if you know people anywhere in the world, send them a video of thank you, send them a link. And you might be like, you've only known two or three people. It doesn't take a lot of people to start something yeah. that matters yeah. and, 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 and word of mouth. So that'd be super valuable. Share no small plan with people um, or video or, or just some content. Um, buying a product's a huge thing twofold. Obviously, we make money from the transaction, but it becomes like a little billboard in your home. Yeah. And it's a, and a, another conversation point. Talk about it. Share the story. Uh, we'd appreciate it. Um, look, I'll finish there. Thank you so much, um, you know, for the interview. And, yeah, all the best, bro, on your journey. Thanks very much. Yeah. Yeah, once again, it was, yeah, genuinely was a goal to have you on the show. And it was a great, great chat. So really appreciate your time, mate. Cool, mate. Thank, Thank you. you.